This podcast right now. So, so hot. hot. Yeah. Podcast. What podcast, you ask? Well, the Gems of History podcast, of course. Oh. I am your host, Jacob Schaff, and joining me as always, I have Mark Steinbrenner. I'm here. And Evan Roosh. Hello, everyone. My two lovely co-hosts. Wow, that's, I'm flattered. How are you guys doing on this fine day? Really well. I'm in a good mood. The weather's nice, maybe a little too nice, and uh, I'm vibing. Yeah, same here. Still just on that elite level of happiness, even though uh, the dog is, you know, it thinks that my hand is its favorite chew toy currently at the moment, just because it's teething and wants to bite everything, but I don't know. The puppy, just like while I'm working from home at the other job, just having the pup around is honestly pretty great. A A little added bonus. Oh, she's so stupid cute she's getting big i know i feel like a like a dad just like watching his child girl like oh my god she's so big and i haven't even had her a month yet <laughs> I, I know i've been here like a week at a like there's a week gap between when i come here usually and so every time i come she's just a little bigger it's like man she's already getting big i know like the next like next week when she kind of jumps on you she'll actually like tackle you yeah i'm just waiting because i know there's gonna be one week where she just grows like way more than the rest and it's right. just gonna be so noticeable but absolutely love your dog Mm, she's a little princess so we are back and we are ready to record another great episode for you guys at home yeah you're leading us today aren't you i am so i was so i don't know how i've been managing to run a podcast for 20 episodes now because i was at home the other day and i kind of realized how amazing it is that I've survived as long as I have without seriously injuring myself because I was getting ready to take a shower after work and I was walking from the bathroom to my room and I decided that instead of walking through the doorway into my room and then taking off my shirt I tried doing it while I was walking and I I damn near just walked right into the door frame and I'm like how have I survived this long? <laughs> Dude, I ask myself that like on a weekly occurrence. I'm the most embarrassed for everyone that doesn't know me for whatever reason you're listening to this. I'm like the most embarrassing and like clumsy person I know. It's like I do crap like that all the time. Yeah. It's just I'm amazed myself that I'm competent enough to do something not, like not, this. Not like, that we're old, but I feel like the younger, if you were 12 and you're doing that, though, it would have been no problem. I oh, yeah. Like you would have just walked right through that thing. And, well, I made it through, oh, but well. I like, I also got like halfway through the doorway and realized what I was doing. So I stopped taking my shirt off. So I was just blind. I was like, I'm just making mistake after mistake right now. (laughs) Well, back when I used to live at my parents, I would always take my shirt off like right next or like right underneath the fan. And like the fan had lights, of course. And around those lights were like glass things. I don't even know what they're even called. Like a housing for it. Yes, Exactly. So, like, I would take my shirt off, and, like, my hand would go up fast, and I would just smack the things up there, and glass would just go everywhere. (laughs) And, like, I did that, like, three times. You'd think we would learn. You would think. (laughs) Hey, we're the most advanced creatures on the planet, though, so I guess we got that. That's a very generous weird. <laughs> well, we as a, as a as species, species yeah. yes. I don't know about us specifically, yep. but but yes. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you all doing well out there. Uh, we got another good round of trivia for you guys. Fill your brains with some more fun knowledge. 
So, Mark, would you like to start us off this week? Sure, but you're not going to like me. Oh, boy. Because I'm coming at you with a geography Ooh. trivia question. The Euphrates I also have River. a geography trivia question. Mine's very, very generic geography. Okay, I mine's don't know. not. Oh, boys, okay. I figured boys, yours would be a little more Get obscure. out of Dodge. I do not have a geography what? question for you guys. Oh, how did you not get the memo? Yeah, come on. I don't know. Maybe you guys just text each other uh, behind my back. Mm, well, Should maybe. I go for it? Yeah, go for it. All right. Kazakhstan lies at approximately the same latitude as which other country? Afghanistan, Nepal, Turkey, or Mongolia? That's not easy. That's such a rude question. Just like, that's so hard. I have no idea. Like, that's rude. I will say this. If you know your geography, it's not that hard, but most people don't know their geography. I said Nepal. Can you say them again? Afghanistan, Nepal, Turkey, or Mongolia? Let's go Turkey. Well, I guess enjoy those shots, boys. It's uh, actually Mongolia. Yikes. Uh, which one are you doing first? Uh, I'm doing the one that I made, which is called a blue kamikaze for anyone at home. If you'd like to make one for yourself. Cheers. So who's up? It's very sour. Wow, that's limey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this oh. is why I should try these things before I try them yeah. on the air. <laughs> Just kind of like your lab rat over here. Yep, I'm, you are my guinea pig. That is for sure. We haven't done like live shots on the uh, on the pod in a while. I mean, we do them. We just don't really react to them. Right? They're usually like your <laughs> We've standard. gotten so numb to it at this I point. I know. We, which is not surprising with how many trivia questions we get wrong. But, I mean. Again, someone at home, like, compile the stats. Yeah. Once we get, like, big enough and we can, like, hire an intern, then. They then can do that. that <laughs> yep. Also, play along at home. Take shots. If you get it wrong. <laughs> we release this on a Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe you, maybe you got the Monday off. Just go nuts. Yep. All right. The cousin of Bigfoot, the Yeti, hails from which country? A, Tibet, B, Bangladesh, C, Nepal, or D, Manipur? Wow, Nepal coming twice. I know. That's I was why surprised I think we, to see I, it. That's why I feel like we have to say Nepal. Yeah, I want to say Nepal. You just said both saying it? Yep. yep. All right. Well, you are both correct. Yes. Yeah, it is yeah. from Nepal. That and was funny back. that it came up in <laughs> yours, too. Weird. But... Yes, the Yeti hails from Nepal in the mountains there. So, hmm. our snow-covered Bigfoot friend. Mm-hmm. So, my trivia question for you guys. Where did the U.S. Senate first meet before moving to Philadelphia and then to Washington, D.C.? Was it A, Boston, B, Richmond, C, Trenton, or D, New York City? Also, I apologize for that attempted Boston accent. <laughs> Boston. Uh, uh, I'm going to go Richmond. I'm going to say Trenton. Okay, so you're both wrong. Oh, the Boston? correct answer is New York City. Really? I'll get one of these right eventually. Correct, yeah. I I mean, initially, I also thought Boston at first, just because, you know, you can't, like, walk a block in that city without uncovering something historical i would have gotten, that, city I gotten that question wrong three times in a row i can tell you that right now yeah that was my last option yeah people honestly forget it was new york city craziness the big apple the big apple <laughs> all right so do we want to do our announcement for the bar crawl before we start just to get it out there right away yes uh so we have made a couple changes regarding the bar crawl i know it's kind of late in the game but we still got oh 
little less than two weeks before it happens, so you guys got some time to prepare. But we have moved the location. We decided instead of the Germantown area, we are going to go in downtown Cedarburg. And we are going to start off at Maxwell's in Cedarburg. So we're thinking a 1, a 1 p.m. start time on Saturday, June 19th. And we're going to move from Maxwell's to a few other bars that we will line up in the interim time. But Evan also has another couple notes for you guys regarding everything. So, Yes, and we will also, during the actual event, uh, we will be uh, having a raffle. Uh, so you can buy raffle tickets from uh, any of us. I believe any of us can just hand those out. We'll yep. each, each have some. But the winner will be ge- will be getting a, or excuse me, the winner of the raffle will be getting Packer or game tickets to a Packers game. We got there. You we got, got there. You got, you got that, people. I am trying to read this off my phone. I did not <laughs> type it well. <clears throat> uh, and in addition to that, we'll also be having trivia. So ten trivia questions, all about history or about the gems of history podcasts. Yeah, so uh, if you've listened through all the episodes, you may have a slight advantage on a couple of the questions. Mm-hmm. It's like each each answer is just aliens. <laughs> <laughs> At what timestamp did we say this? What was Evan's uh, alcohol percentage when they <laughs> recorded the Lizzie Borden podcast? <laughs> uh, then we'll also be uh, handing out t-shirts. So the t-shirts is a big thing. Again, you can go to any of our social medias, click on the GoFundMe link, Donate $20, $20 gets you a free t-shirt, as well as, you know, you're just giving $20 to an amazing cause, the Children's Hospital of Wisconsin. And again, we need to mention, whoever bids the most, or excuse me, donates the most to that GoFundMe page gets to pick a topic for the Gems of History podcast. And I believe as of now, the highest bid is at $60. So thank you to whoever donated that. We'll keep you anonymous. But, again, you can buy our creative process if you want to. Yes. I'll sell out if it's in the uh, best interest of helping kids get healthy. So. All, all in the name of a good cause. So. Um, if you have any questions or when you do, do, when you do donate, <laughs> do-do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, come to the bar crawl to get first-hand experiences of our uh, humor. <laughs> but when you do donate, please uh, drop a note to either... Jacob, Mark, or myself, you can email our uh, email, which is at Jacob. Uh, gems of history podcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Or you can send us a message on any of our social medias on Twitter or Instagram. Again, just Gems of History Podcast on both. Um, please donate. Please attend our event. It's going to be an amazing time. We have some awesome things lined up for all of you that are attending. And we're just looking for an amazing time. And again, this is all going to a cause that's pretty near and dear to all of our hearts, just the Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, just helping out kids get healthy. Yeah, and Ev, one more time, just to put it out there again, what was mm-hmm. the date, ta- starting time, and starting location? Correct. So, I don't know why I said correct. So, the date <laughs> yes, is Yes, that is on, happening. <laughs> yes, we are planning this. So, it will be happening at 1 o'clock in Cedarburg, Wisconsin. Uh, on June nineteenth, and we will be meeting at Maxwell's Bar. Yes. All right. Good. So, so that is the plan as of right now. If anything changes, we will definitely let you all know. But for what we have planned, I think that is going to stay set set in stone. So 
Hopefully we'll see you guys there. If you can make it out, great. If you can't, if you still want to donate, you definitely can. We will ship the shirts if we need to. So mm-hmm. just let us know what sizes you need in your emails or messages so that we know what size shirt that we need to order for you. And we hope to see you there. So with that all being said, shall we get into a, a good old story? Yeah, we shall. All right. So... I'm going to start you guys off with a a little storytelling to start off, and then I'll introduce you to what we're going to be talking about today. Late on December 28, 1980, in the UK county of Suffolk, a U.S. Air Force base is having a late Christmas celebration. Amidst the fun and relaxation, a young officer hurriedly enters to find Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt and informs him that there is a strange light in the forest connecting the Woodbridge and Bentwaters bases. Halt gathers a group of men and enters the forest to look for the supposed light, but doesn't immediately see anything. However, a few minutes later, a glowing red ball of light with a dark center appeared and was floating through the trees, appearing to maneuver its way around the trees and towards the group. Eventually, it started to retreat, and when Halt and his men attempted to follow, it started to move faster away from the group, eventually splitting into multiple white objects in the middle of a nearby field and disappearing. This is what supposedly took place in the late hours of the final days of 1980 in Rendlesham Forest, becoming one of the most well-documented UFO encounters in modern history. So that is what we will be talking about today. That specific event or UFOs in general? We will be talking about the Rendlesham Forest incident. So that's just a little taste of what we will be getting into as we go along. But there's a lot more to it. And the U.S. government just released info on this or...? Yeah, so there's actually quite a few documents released about it now that I will talk about as we go through it. But yeah, it's it's pretty well documented being that it's military sightings because everyone pretty much that's involved that has come out and talked about it is a military serviceman or former military serviceman. So that's why I think I like this story a lot, just because I feel like it's got more credibility that it's with all of these like people less inclined to lie. Yeah. They're, they're more like cut and dry people. So now are these like actual military reports? Are these the military members that come out like after they're done with their service, like writing books or like being interviewed both? Oh, wow. So there was one of the main sources is I used was, uh, it was a New York post, uh, YouTube series that they started about this kind of like, more paranormal stuff and they did a two-part series on this event and they actually did it with a co-host being the author of one of the biggest books on the incident whose name is nick pope and he was a former uk ministry of defense ufo investigator so he was part of the uk uh government when he was investigating all this and then he took two of the witnesses from the story and had them write like co-write the book with him basically Hmm. So he was on these YouTube videos, and in the videos, they get interviews with some of the people involved. Colonel Charles Halt was one of the people that was interviewed, so a lot of it is firsthand from them, and then also from the documents that were released in the interim. So a lot of, a lot of good stuff coming your way. Right. So as I said, there was two bases. They were former Royal Air Force bases called Woodbridge and Bentwaters bases in the Suffolk, UK county. 
And the U.S. Air Force took them over in uh, March of 1951 as primary installations for Cold War defense because they had a large number of American aircraft being assigned to uh, the NATO Air Force arm. So they needed somewhere that they could locate that wasn't in the U.S. that maybe was more strategic. So they took it over, and that's why the U.S. Air Force commandeered these bases. So Rendlesham Forest actually is in between the two bases, one's north and one's south, and that's where these events will end up taking place. But the main event that I'm going to be talking about actually was not the first UFO incident that happened here. So in 1956, five years after the U.S. Air Force took over, on August 13th, there was a a large meteor shower. So there was a large number of like shooting stars and whatnot that people were seeing from the ground. But the radar during this storm actually picked something up that was moving towards the bases from the sea. So they said that whatever they picked up on radar was moving from the sea towards the base at a speed of several thousand miles per hour. Now, for a note, the fastest plane in 1956 was capable of around like 1,900 miles an hour, and that was done over a dry lake bed, so it was kind of like a quarantined run to try and get the the speed record. And it wasn't until the mid-60s that the Lockheed SR-71 Blackbird came out, which is still currently the fastest airplane. Legendary. And that goes 2,200 miles per hour. And so whatever they were tracking was going several thousand miles per hour, according to the radar. So just keep that in mind that we still don't have much other than the Blackbird that really hits that speed like consistently. But uh, visual confirmation could not be confirmed of whatever they saw for a while other than a single amber star-like object, which they pretty much have confirmed was a misidentification of Mars because it was like visible in the sky at the time on that night. But otherwise... What's that? Oh, uh, just Mars. <laughs> it's, like... got, it's, it's nothing. <laughs> just Mars. But they didn't really have visual identification of this craft at first. So after they had seen it on radar... They picked up another target around 11 p.m., moving at an estimated 2,000 to 4,000 miles per hour, and was observed from the ground, moving rapidly overhead as a white light, and a pilot that was in the air that they scrambled for these things that they were seeing on radar was cruising around 4,000 feet and reported a similar light to the white lights being seen from the ground, passing underneath his aircraft. So... At that point, the Bentwaters base, which was the one seeing all this, alerted another base called Lakenheath, 40 miles northwest, to watch for the same thing, because it was coming their way. So ground personnel at Lakenheath made visual confirmation of multiple luminous objects that arrived, made a sharp change in course, and then appeared to merge before moving off. And they said, size-wise, what they were seeing from the ground It was about golf ball size. If you would hold a golf ball at arm's length, that's how it started off, and that eventually became pinpoint size. And that's how they kind of ruled it out as being a meteor, because one, it shifted course, and two, you could visibly see it moving away. So they knew that they were seeing it for an extended period of time. And the final encounter on this night occurred when two Venom interceptor planes that had a max speed of around 640 miles an hour and were designed to be a little more agile, were scrambled to scout 
these targets that they're catching off the radar and seeing in the sky. One of the pilots did make contact, but he said the target maneuvered behind his aircraft and chased him for about 10 minutes, despite him trying to do evasive maneuvers with his own craft. And in a report on the incident, Technical Sergeant Forrest Perkins described the pilot's demeanor as being worried, excited, and also pretty scared. So that's the precursor to the event that I'm going to be talking about. Okay, wow. So just to give you an idea of what has been going on here before. So did he get like a good look at what the actual UFO like actually looked like? They all just said that there were luminous objects, like balls of light that they were seeing flying around in the sky. I can't imagine being the pilot and like there's just a ball of light behind you, like just chasing after you. And not only that, it maneuvers behind you and then it chases you around. Mm -hmm. Just brake check it. (laughs) (laughs) Sees your taillights and just immediately (laughs) runs into you. Gives you the finger on it's like maneuver. (laughs) So pick a lane. We're in the air. So what are your initial thoughts just based on that story? It's odd, but I always hate when it's the generic ball of light because yeah. it's very vague and, uh, I don't know, open-ended, but weird, strange for sure. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah. I mean, it's always, it honestly kind of always seems like it's like a ball of light. I just think it's more strange that it got picked up on their radar. Mm-hmm. And was tracked for as long as they had tracked it for, apparently, because they had so much time to alert another base that they were seeing it consistently on their their scanners and everything. So, I don't know. That part was the reason why I thought it was kind of interesting. I think the speed of these crafts or UFO was just absolutely insane, too. Like, our our fastest plane made in the 60s just has absolutely nothing on them. Yeah, and this is almost 10 years before that mm-hmm. even made its first flight. So, Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, it's weird. So let's skip back ahead to December of 1980, where we originally started. So a lot of this information, like I said, comes from those New York Post videos, which are very well done. And if you want to watch them for yourself, there's more in there that I don't really talk about. But it, I thought they're really good, and there's a lot of good information in there. So before the encounter on the 28th that I started off with, there was another incident two days before in Rendlesham Forest involving two U.S. Air Force servicemen named John Burroughs and Jim Penniston. And Jim Penniston is going to be one of the most important characters in this story. And those two, John Burroughs and Jim Penniston, are the two that co-authored the book with Nick Pope. That is the main source on this at this point. So Penniston was a sergeant at the base assigned as service police supervisor with high security clearances at Bentwaters. So he was one of the guys in charge of making sure this base didn't have any intruders or anything that was presenting an imminent danger. So the two men were investigating a report of a supposed fireball in the forest, which people believe may have been some sort of aircraft that had crashed and downed in the forest. So he went to go investigate with John, and once they got closer, they kind of realized it was not a plane crash. And so upon realizing that, Penniston called back to the base and called off all of the emergency calls that were originally put forth, 
and enacted what he called the Helping Hand Initiative, which was an initiative to go and identify any possible dangers to the base. So that was him doing his duty to go investigate it himself and make sure that this isn't going to pose a threat. And then if it would, go back and report and get everyone ready to go. So after that, he and John approached where this supposed fireball had come down. And Penniston claims that he witnessed a triangular-shaped craft with lights on the top and the bottom of it. He said it was about nine feet tall and nine feet wide and stood on three legs in a clearing. As he approached, movement became harder for Jim and became more labored. He said, quote, my movements were labored. It felt like I was walking through a pool of water. So as he began approaching, it just became, it felt like there was some sort of force like pushing him back. repelling yeah. him from going. However, upon getting about within 10 feet of the craft, that feeling that he had disappeared and he entered what he called the craft's sphere of influence, is what he quoted it as. And he, one source claimed that upon his entering the sphere, he looked back and saw Burroughs kind of in a, like a trance. He was in like suspended animation because he was trying to yell to him to be like, are you seeing this? But he said he was kind of just still and wasn't moving or saying anything. So... That's where he's at right now. So he's able to move freely, but John isn't, apparently. So maybe he's just stuck in that same energy field or whatever you want to call it that Jim was originally stuck in. But mm. he's he's gotten close enough to this craft now that he's not in that anymore. So Penniston approached the craft, and once he got closer, the lights that were on the top disappeared and only the lights on the bottom were still there but he said that the lights were bright enough that he didn't need to use his flashlight so there was enough illumination from this thing that he could clearly see what he was doing without needing any extra light he described the craft as looking like smooth black glass and he being an air force serviceman claimed that he knew pretty much what most of the typical aircraft would have looked like and he said, looking at it, it was similar to nothing that he had seen before. It had no rivets. It had no seams. There is apparently nowhere where there's plates put together, all of that stuff. So wow. he said that it was not something that he was familiar with. Mm -hmm. So as he walked around the craft, he noticed that there were some sort of strange glyphs on the side, like hieroglyphics, but nothing that he had resembled seeing anything he knew before. So he got closer and he said that the writing from first letter, first glyph to the last glyph, it was about three feet wide and it was about five to six inches tall. And there was a triangular shape underneath the glyphs. And so he touched the craft and he said that once he touched it, it was smooth where he said it felt like smooth black glass. And once he touched the glyphs, he said they felt like sandpaper. So it was like a raised texture off of this craft. So he said, once he touched the craft, he said he felt a jolt when his hand initially made contact. And he described it as though he felt like he was receiving some sort of download of information upon touching the thing. And once he ran his hands across the glyphs and touched the final one, there was one of the lights that was originally on top of the craft reappeared and got so bright that it was blinding him. And he started to receive a bunch of like digital coding is how he described it 
going directly into his head, like some sort of message. What is he, like a wit wiki? <laughs> <laughs> wit wiki. So after that, after the light went away, he kind of settled down, realized like, okay, this thing is not going to hurt me. I'm okay now. Like the kind of calm, the light calmed down and everything. And he started, he pulled out his notebook and started making drawings of what the craft looked like. He walked around it a few times to try and kind of like get measurements of what it was. Literally just like Star Wars, or Star Wars, excuse me, Transformers. Yeah. Yeah. With the wiki. The inspiration (laughs) for those movies is right here. (laughs) Right. Yep. Yeah. So he started drawing uh, sketches, which you can look up online. He's shown them in interviews and stuff before he still has the notebook. And so you can look these up. And I believe John Burroughs originally, like a few days after, had drawn similar stuff when asked what he saw. So you can find these drawings. And it's basically, it's just a triangle and that it looks like there's a little cockpit on the top and then three legs coming off each corner. So The legs don't make any sense. He said it wasn't like landing gear. Like it wasn't a plane where they would have come out. It It sounded like he described it more as they were fixed on there which i don't know if that's what he meant when he said it wasn't landing gear but it was what it was sitting on was three legs on either corner so weird um was the ship looking like it was damaged no it it like landed it didn't crash it was in fine condition based yeah what yeah yeah so it didn't they thought originally because the report that they had received from someone scouting had said, oh, we think something crashed, and that's why they went out to investigate originally. He should have looked to see if something was inside. He, There was no like way he could see to get in, because oh, okay. he said there was no seams anywhere. Oh. So as far as he knew, there was nothing that he could do to open, basically. Interesting. So The alien was just like away from it, just kind of using the bathroom real quick, just a quick <laughs> pit stop. Yeah, quick pit stop, got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Any any other thoughts just based off of that? Because that's all, pretty much the end of the encounter. It was uh, a hit-and-run alien tactic to just drop swine flu. Okay. And there was no one inside. They were just dropping a pandemic of some kind. Chemical warfare. Yep. Honestly, I don't really know what to think because it just seems like this thing was parked in the yeah. forest. And, like, it's super weird that, like, say there was someone inside, like, an alien inside piloting this thing. Would they even allow the guy to touch it, let alone, like, receive some sort of code or whatever it right. is? Um, so, I honestly don't know what to think. It honestly feels maybe they were taking, like, information from him because they knew it was, like, a military base. So, maybe he thought he was receiving code, but he was actually giving away code. And that's, Potentially, I that's mean, one thing for me, too, is it seems like a lot of encounters try and focus around important things on the Earth, like hmm. nuclear reactors or military bases, whatever it may be. It seems like they're kind of scouting to see, like, what do these guys have going on as far as technology or weaponry that maybe, I don't know if they're seeing, hey, this could pose a threat to us if we get found out or if they're saying, well, maybe we could help them advance further or what if it is actually aliens, which who knows if it is or not. But mm-hmm. So 
like I said, that's kind of the end of the encounter. He said at that point, after he had walked around it and drew pictures, it lifted off the ground through the trees, broke some branches on the way out, and then took off into the night sky at high speeds, like near impossible from what he knew of craft at the time. But he said after it had left, it did leave indents in the ground about one and a half inches deep and seven inches in diameter. He saw it take off? Yeah. Oh, wow. And he said there was you, there is pictures, not very good pictures, of this clearing uh, that they went back to a couple days later where they try and mark where the actual indentations were. But you got to remember, too, that this is Dece- like late December in the UK. So the ground is frozen solid basically so for this thing to leave an indentation an inch and a half deep in the ground that's it had to be fairly heavy and proved that something had to have been there so how do they describe its takeoff like did it use a certain type of energy energy that they could uh, quantify or he said it basically just lifted straight up through the trees and then just shot off and he didn't feel like it giving off heat it, nope it or... didn't make any sound so but almost, it almost kind of seemed like a magnet pull i mean obviously i doubt this thing's just one big magnet but it just kind of like sucked up well that's the thing because we talk about how it uses like anti-gravity anti-gravity mm-hmm. like forces or whatever to propel itself that's a big theory on what it could be and that's why that whole where he said his movements were labored. That's why people think maybe there was some sort of energy field around this thing where it was manipulating gravity. And that's why he felt like his movements were more labored. Maybe it was enhancing gravity in that certain area. And then once you got close enough, it was repelling all the other gravity or something other than normal. And that's why once he got close enough, it just disappeared, that feeling. So mm-hmm. it could theoretically make sense with, that look at it but who really knows i mean i guess it makes sense you'd also expect like some sort of like if it was powered by like a fuel like some sort of residue right on the grass like when it did take off other than the indentations in the ground like some sort of i don't know something we there was something we'll get to that oh foreshadowing so according to burroughs and peniston after they walked back out from the forest they got back to the driver of the Jeep that they had taken out there. And according to them, being Penniston and Burroughs, they thought they were only gone for about five to ten minutes. And when they got back, the driver told them they'd been gone about 45 minutes. So they were like ten times longer than they had originally thought. And not only that, they looked at their watches to see how long it had been, and both of their watches stopped 45 minutes before the time that they were back at. So wow. that they their watches had actually been manipulated in some way to have both stopped at the same time. So this thing's not only making them lose time, in quotes, air quotes, lose time, but it's also manipulating mechanical objects. So I I only found that in one source and that is I believe in Nick Pope's book. So that's coming from I'm assuming Penniston and Burroughs themselves. So take it for what it's worth, but I think it's interesting nonetheless. Yeah, for sure. So after this, Penniston went back and had to give his report 
to the Office of Special Investigations for the Air Force. And he, in his interview in the New York Post video, said it was about four written pages total of what he claimed to see. And he gave that over to the guys in the OSI. And after he gave it over, he waited a few minutes and someone that he claimed he had never seen before wearing a suit came in and handed him a piece of paper that was about halfway full of text. And the way he described it was it was a way more generalized and watered down version of what had actually happened. And so he asked the guy, this isn't what I wrote. What is this? And the guy said, this is what you're going to tell people if anyone asks you what happened. So he's basically saying they covered this up because they didn't want anyone to actually know what really happened based on what he had told them. So, and him being a security officer, like supervisor of security at this base, he knew mostly what everyone there, who they were, what they, what they did. So in him saying, I didn't recognize this guy, I don't know who it was, means that it was probably some outside person that had come in after mm-hmm. hearing what happened. It was just a man in black. That's what, that's what I thought of at first, too. <laughs> I mean, it's really got men in black vibes, that's for sure. Yeah. Definitely getting MIB vibes. Yeah. So it wasn't until after he... Because he just agreed after this guy came in because... He was a relatively young serviceman in the Air Force, and this was his career. He didn't want to ruin his career by fighting against what his su- superiors were telling him. So he's like, I just wanted to keep my job. I went along with it. I got along to get along kind of thing. And it wasn't until after he retired that he started coming out and saying, this is more of so what actually happened in his own words. Mm-hmm. So, and... When you watch the the video of him giving these interviews, the the New York Post host of the the channel, he asked him like, "Do you have a family? Like, do you have children?" And he's like, "Yeah, and I've been out of the service for years now, and I'm sick, like mid sixties, I believe. And the fact that I still have to deal with this is not fun, and I don't like it. Like, he's kind of haunted by this the rest of his life. Oh yeah. So I mean." He's not having fun, that's for sure. Not a good time. So, let's go back to December 28th, where we originally started. So, we have the Christmas party at the base, and Charles Halt is alerted that the lights in the forest have returned. So, Halt, being this by-the-books lieutenant colonel in the Air Force and a serious guy, grabbed his audio recorder and a group of the servicemen from the party to go out and check what was going on, because he wanted to debunk this... And because he didn't want these rumors circulating around this base that he was in charge of that, oh, these guys are worried about these dancing lights in the forest. He doesn't want that kind of stigma around his operation. So his original intent was to debunk this. Mm-hmm. So upon entering the woods, Halt found the original clearing from that first event. And that's where these pictures that are more or less not very good pictures they never uh, are. Yeah. Those, that's where the, the indentation pictures were taken and where the craft had originally landed, and there's broken branches and all that. So you notice the indentations of the ground, and he also took a Geiger counter out with him along with his audio recorder, and the, the Geiger counter actually spiked 
meaning that there is above average levels of radiation in this area. And the radiation, when he measured it on the trees that were surrounding the clearing, the radiation was on the inside of the trees facing the clearing where this craft was, but the other side, it wasn't really as prevalent. So take it for what it's worth, but it's just kind of weird. And he also said that during this time, the nearby farm animals from that farmhouse that the the field is associated with where the, the craft ended up disappearing, he said that the farm animals were just acting really weird, making a ton of noise. And so after examining the landing site for a few minutes, they did notice a light moving through the forest. So they said it was a red light that was moving through the trees and coming towards them. And so... At this point, Halt still got his recorder going, recording all of this audio, and some of that has been declassified. So I'm going to play some of that for you now, and the audio quality is not fantastic, but it's good enough that you should hopefully be able to tell what's going on. So let me pull that up for you. The lights are turned off once we are focused in and allow time for the eyes to adjust. We are getting an indication of a heat source coming out of that center spot, as uh, which will show up on the heat or some form of energy. It's hardly heat at this stage of the game. Looking directly overhead, one can see an opening in the trees plus some freshly uh, broken pine branches on the ground underneath. Looks like someone came off about 15 to 20 feet up. Some small branches about an inch or less in diameter. Zero 148, we're hearing very strange sounds out of the farmers burning our animals. It's very, very active, making an awful lot of noise. This is a pigmentation. You just saw a light Where? Right on this position here. Straight ahead in between the tree. There it is again. Watch. Straight ahead off my flash right there. So there it is. Hey, I see it too. What is it? We don't know, sir. So you have a try guess on Yeah, it's a strange, small red light. Looks like maybe a quarter to a half mile, maybe further out. That's the first section that I want to show you. You said this is at the Christmas party? So this is after the like they had left the Christmas party and went into the forest at this point. Santa? <laughs> maybe. It was red. So that's the first section I want to show you, and then there's a little more... We have smoke the first night, but we've seen we're about 150 or 200 yards from the site. Everything else is just deathly calm. There is no doubt about it. There's some type of strange flashing red light ahead. There's yellow. I saw a yellow tinge in it too. Weird. It, it, it appears to be maybe moving a little bit this way. It's, it's brighter than it has been. Yellow. It's coming this way. It is definitely coming this way. Pieces of it are shooting off. There is no doubt about it. This is weird. So you can kind of hear him say in there that this red light's moving, and then towards the end you can hear him say there's two lights. There's one to the right, one to the left. And then that's where I cut it off. But that's what I had said originally in the story is where it once they started approaching it, moved as if it was trying to get away from the group and then went into the farm field, split into multiple objects, and then went away. So, wow. I mean, what you just heard was a guy in charge of a Cold War military air force base seeing something that he doesn't 
snow in the forest after you could hear him say there's broken pine branches, there's higher levels of radiation. So what do you guys think of that? I'm just like trying to put myself in the shoes of the people that were just seeing, like trying to track this thing or things down. Like how scary that must have been. Just you're tracking one thing and then it splits into two and then it's gone. I mean, it does, did they say, did they get close enough to like kind of feel that same like labored walking? No, the... they, they, it never got close enough or allowed them to get close enough to it. Okay. But they, they said they looked through like a thermal imaging thing that they had brought with them and they said that they could see the outer part was a lighter color and mm-hmm. the inside, it looked like it almost had a core and they described mm-hmm. it as looking similar to an eye. Like the the iris and the pupil, and With Saruman. I mean, not Saruman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So pretty much. So yeah. like the outside was a lighter red, and the inside was darker red. But they didn't get close enough that they felt anything weird. Hmm. But what about you, Mark? What do you think? I just want to get some clarification quick. So the lights were in the trees or in the sky above the trees? It was moving. It was floating about four feet off the ground through the trees so it's near the ground weird it must not have been very big because otherwise they would have seen all those trees taken down too after the fact yeah so it it looked as though and halt says this in his interview on the video he was asked about it and he says that he believes it had to have been intelligently moving based on the fact that it was avoiding the trees and also the fact that it moved away from them when they approached almost as if it didn't want them to get close to it Mm. so i don't know i as far as ufo stories go the fact that we have this audio and halt even admits that there's so much more audio that will never be released that people will never hear Mm -hmm. that is probably i'm assuming has more compelling things in it than what this is but the fact that this got released only proves that I don't know what else would have been more classified than him saying, I'm seeing a light in the forest. Yeah. And I mean, I guess you could say that a government would release this part just to say, oh, well, it's just a light in the forest. They could have been seeing anything and then toss it off to the side. Yep. But I don't know. It's one of the more compelling pieces of evidence for a UFO story, in my opinion. I don't know about you guys, but with so the outside was a lighter color and the inside was like a like more dark red yep. thermal. I wonder if it was honestly just like some sort of alien drone. Like if it wasn't like an actual clear like person on the inside, they couldn't see anything moving on the inside. If it was it, just like an orb. Yeah, it was I wonder just... if it was like just maybe a drone and on the inside is its theoretical engine. Right. Obviously speaking very off the cuff here, but Well and I don't you... And then with that intelligent movement you can almost like suspect you know a pilot Right. Or like someone with that. a controller yeah. moving it around kind yeah. of thing. But in the audio he also says there's pieces of it flying off. I don't know if you guys heard that specifically. It is kind of Oh no! Not the best quality audio, which I understand. But he said that it looked like there was, like, he says sparks, but he also says it looked like some sort of like molten metal was almost like shooting, like dripping off and like falling off of this thing. So I don't know what that's about, but that could just be 
this thing is not a solid entity. It's more so like, I don't even know, some sort of weird energy that yeah. we don't understand. That, that doesn't come up again in any of their reports. They don't like go find the stuff that was maybe falling off. I was going to ask. They didn't any find any evidence after this thing uh, disappeared. Okay. So hmm, that's convenient. That, yeah. So right. that could be like, I don't know, some sort of energy that we can't comprehend that maybe can phase in and out of what we can see, kind of like a dark matter like type thing. I don't know, but it's just all really weird. Yeah. So that was the encounter the second night. So between the two, there was a full-size craft that one of the airmen actually was able to physically make contact with. And then the second night, the commander of the base records audio of himself saying they're seeing something weird. So between the two, it seems like this is one of the one of the few UFO cases where we have m- not just one, but multiple close encounters with whatever is going on. And also, this is military men who have written reports on what they've seen, and that's where a lot of the information comes from is HALT's report, which is called the HALT Memo, which was declassified two years after this event had actually occurred. So that's where a big source of the information on what people can study now comes from. And there's also been recent updates within the past 10 years. In 2015, John Burroughs, one of the initial people on the night that Jim Penniston had his encounter, who was stuck in that energy field, he came out saying that he had heart conditions from radiation exposure and was actually, he was for years seeking a settlement from the military after the event to get his medical bills paid for to help pay for this condition that he had. And he actually won the settlement and got compensation for this event and for the radiation effect. I was going to bring that up because if the radiation was noticeable, you said it spiked before. I was going to ask if the dude had any issues after the fact. Yeah, yeah, so as far as I know, Jim Penniston didn't have anything, but what I can only conclude is that Burroughs being stuck in that field, maybe he was exposed to it for a longer period of time or more strong effects from it. Mm-hmm. And once he once Penniston got through that, he wasn't affected by it as much anymore because it was on the trees surrounding that clearing. So that would make sense to me, but... The, yeah, the radiation levels, when they went and monitored it the two days later, it was high enough that it was spiking, but it wasn't high enough that it would have been a danger to the people there at the oh, time. Okay, okay. So it would have maybe that was just the lasting effects of the higher levels that were there when Penniston and Burroughs actually went to see it. So I don't know. Okay. But, and in the uh, New York Post article, they actually play audio from a phone call between Burroughs and uh, Jim or uh, John McCain's office secretary of them communicating back and forth saying, I want my settlement for this, this radiation for my heart condition that I've been dealing with. And she says, well, if, if the air force isn't going to give you a settlement or the government Congress isn't going to actually work with you, then McCain will directly get you some sort of compensation for it. So good for him. As far as Jim Penniston goes, he still had more information that he hadn't released prior to this. 
So he was doing an interview showing those drawings in his notebook. And when he was flipping through the pages, the interviewer noticed that there was a bunch of numbers written on the pages before the drawings and asked, what is that? And Penniston said, well, after I touched the craft, that coding that I had received when I touched it was floating in my head and I couldn't sleep because it was just going back and forth through my head. So I decided to write all the numbers down in my notebook. And after that, it kind of soothed my, my anxiety and I put my notebook away and kind of forgot about it because I just wanted to continue my career. But it turns out that he wrote down a bunch of ones and zeros. And if you know anything about ones and zeros, it translates to binary code, mm. which binary code is a technological language which can be used for coding computers and stuff like that. But it also can be translated into a language. So he got this actually looked at and strangely enough, Jim Pettison in 1980, who didn't know binary code, actually wrote down things that translated into a like understandable sentences or messages. And this is what it translates to. Exploration of humanity, continuous for planetary advance, eyes of our eyes, origin year 8100. Ugh, what? So Can that, you read that again, just for... Sure. Exploration of humanity, continuous for planetary advance, eyes of our eyes, origin year 8100. And origin. after that, there's also more binary code that translates into geological coordinates that, when pinpointed on a map... They match locations like the Pyramids of Giza, oh, the, the Nazca Lines in Peru, which I don't know if you guys know what that is. It's basically giant drawings of like birds that can be seen from satellites and stuff. Yep. And the Temple of Apollo in Greece. So big points on the Earth. And also there was coordinates listed for another place that doesn't exist on maps anymore known as High Brazil. And High Brazil was an island floating off the coast of Europe that was on very early map drawings, which was based on Celtic mythology and was believed and is known now as Celtic Atlantis. And it's not on maps anymore, but it pinpointed it exactly with these coordinates on the older maps. Strange, dude. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's actually really cool. That's so cool. That's actually awesome. So that because I'd heard this story way back in the day when this information had originally come out and I forgot about it for the longest time. And that blew my mind. The fact that this yeah. actually translated into understandable sentences or messages for a guy who had no, I mean, even if he did have an understanding of what binary code was, I doubt he would have known how to actually code being a guy who had gotten into the service at a younger age and, that was pretty much all he knew. Mm. So he's off. I don't. Okay. So there have been some people that have said, okay, this notebook has been carbon dated for this writing and said that it was written on the date that he said it was written on. But there was also sources that said he is offered to get it carbon dated, but no one has yet. So I don't know which one is true. I'm kind of leaning more towards he's offered and no one has done it just because carbon dating is relatively expensive and unless someone really wants to know they're not going to pay for it but either way 
I I still think it's odd. So our second GoFundMe will be to uh, get this thing <laughs> get this thing carbon dated. So, Penison himself, when asked, does not believe that the craft was extraterrestrial, but he does believe that it was some sort of interdimensional craft from the future, and he believes that that origin year eighty one hundred was saying that this was some sort of craft from people in the future sending it back to give us some sort of message. But either way, he he is just, like I said earlier, he doesn't like that he still has to deal with it to this day. But that was his final word on it. Oh, so. yeah, I'm sure he gets bugged about it. I'd imagine daily. Oh, yeah. So The reason I'm conflicted on that is if they had time-traveling technology... I feel like we there'd be more common circumstances. Right. And one thing that does seem to support this this idea that he has is there was some sort of theoretical physicist, and I can't remember his name. They mentioned it in the video. But he basically claimed that time travel, by using Einstein's theories and stuff that he had come up with, he he pretty much determined that if time travel was real, one way that it would be the most plausible is to send messages in binary code back through time. And I don't remember how it would have worked, but they kind of explain it in the video. But this was like huge news for a while when he had originally come up with this. And so plausibly, this would be the most easy or accessible way for future or us pretty much just future people to communicate back to us would be through a binary message system. So in that aspect, it supports this theory, but who really knows? It's all up in the air. Yeah. So there's a lot of people out there who obviously claim this is a hoax. There's things that people say like, oh, this was just people playing a prank on you after the original event with the red light in the forest. And there's also a lighthouse on the coast that was nearby that you could see from these bases. But in my opinion, I don't really know if I buy the lighthouse theory just because they had been at these bases for years and they would have known, it would have been a known subject to them at that this lighthouse is there. They would have known what it looked like, where it would have beamed the light from. So I don't know if I really support that, trying to debunk it. And plus, they said that this light was moving through the trees, and also that it was red. So I don't know many lighthouses that would beam red light, but mm -hmm. that's just me personally. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I don't know. Overall, I this is probably my favorite UFO story, be, just because of the amount of information that we have and the amount of different media sources that we can look at, be it video interviews, books, audio recordings, files that have been declassified. It, it just has more compelling evidence than a lot of other stuff, in my opinion. I think it might be my favorite now, too. I don't know. That was pretty wild at the end with the coding and everything. That, and then where the points line up. and Yeah. I don't know. See, that, that was the biggest thing for me. Besides the audio recordings, the binary code is just so weird to me. Because even if he did like find some way to write it in there after the fact and then had someone be like, okay, this is how you're going to write the numbers out. Yeah. This is the sequence they have to be in for him to write it perfectly on the first try and not make a mistake or anything. It, 
I don't know. It just doesn't really seem like that would be a plausible thing. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think so. And that's kind of all elaborate. I don't know. It's an elaborate hoax. But yeah. yeah. So just backtracking a little bit, that high Brazil. Do you say that it was part of maps and now it, it no longer is? Yep. So this essentially just disappeared. That's that's why it's called the Celtic Atlantis. Yeah, I'm just looking at pictures of maps right now, and yeah, it legit like I'm seeing like a before and after essentially, and it's just not there anymore yep it's super interesting like the other three points uh that you mentioned the temple of apollo yeah temple of apollo nazca lines and and there's i think there's more than that that was just the ones that they gave examples of Mm -hmm. but yeah and like two of those we have no idea how they got there which is kind of curious why the temple of apollo was up because that is a man-made structure yeah but uh for the greek historian nerds out there uh, the Temple of Apollo was always known for where the Oracle of Delphi was, which essentially was the person that, you know, gave prophecies, gave different uh, allusions to people. So it's actually extremely interesting that those four points all pointed to something either supernatural, we don't know how they got there, or just isn't there anymore. Exactly. And, like, those are all points that, people have theories about being alien made or Mm -hmm. futuristic made whatever it may be so it's just when you think about like the oracle of delphi that people back then wouldn't have known the difference between maybe someone from the future telling them things that they didn't know or maybe some sort of extraterrestrial that had information to help them out or whatever if you buy into those theories which i'm not saying that's what happened but i'm just saying like if you're thinking along that line of thought, then it would make some sense. Yeah. So I don't like Mark said, this might be my favorite alien story now too. It's super, super interesting. All right. Well, I have something fun to end on. Okay. So I decided to write a little ad lib. Do you remember those? Oh yeah. Where you fill in the blanks with different nouns and adverbs and whatnot. Oh, I sure do. So I'm going to have you guys give me, and you guys can switch off if you want. But, yeah, that sounds good. All right, so who wants to start? All right, lay it on me. All right, Mark. <laughs> I was about to say not it, but I'm glad you just kind of start. All right, Mark, give me a noun. Uh, aliens. Or has it singular? Alien? Alien, okay. Verb, heaven, some sort of action. Struck. All right. Uh, Mark, I need another noun. Gray poupon. All right, gray Good answer, good answer. Uh, Evan, I need an adjective. Moist. And Mark, another noun. You're getting, oh, all, the, you're getting all the nouns. Oh, I've uh, hit, hit us with a noun. You can go back to back. Oh, goodness. Um, moose. Oh, snap. All right, Mark, I need a type of relationship, like brother, friend, girlfriend. IDK. Coworker. <laughs> Ex-spouse. Ex-spouse. Um, Evan, I need a verb ending in ed. Um, covered. All right. Uh, mark a noun. Yeah. Uh, moon sand. Moon sand. Is that her moon shoes? Rock lobster. Evan, I need an amount of time. Let's go with a nice amount of years. Mark. Uh, adjective? Yoked. Yoked. Noun? Wolf. 
<laughs> Evan, you're really on these animals. I, that's all I can think Moose about. My wolf. life is just based around the wolf that's upstairs. A verb. Shivered. Me timbers. Uh, adjective. Hmm. Um. Oh gosh. The pressure's on. I, there's so much pressure. I'm taking way too long to answer this. What sucks. kind? Which one? How many? <laughs> uh. Um. Hot. All right. Noun. <laughs> Every time. Every time. Uh. Dodge Stratus. All right. <laughs> Noun. Um. A wheel. A name of a place. Paul Bunyan. Mm, great breakfast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have you been? <laughs> Have you been? And a noun. Um, mm, mountain. All right. Are you ready to hear your oh, story? This is about to be so freaking goofy. All right. Peniston entered the alien to strike a strange gray poupon. <laughs> when he got there, he was shocked to see a moist moose. <laughs> His ex-spouse, John Burroughs, was also there. His ex-spouse! After this, Peniston covered what he saw to the moon sand. A couple amount of years later, another yolked wolf showed up in the alien. A beefy wolf. <laughs> Charles Halt, Halt went out to shiver what the fuss was about. He, too, saw a hot Dodge Stratus, similar to Peniston. He recorded audio on his wheel to listen to later. This story is now known as the Paul Bunyan Mountain. Wow. <laughs> Look at that. It all kind of came together. The That's... hot Dodge Stratus. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out the mythical... Uh... Or just the mysterious orbs of just different Dodge Stratus. A, moi- a moist moose and a hot Dodge Stratus. <laughs> Whoa. And they both walk into and the a bar. Yoked <laughs> and, his ex- and the yoked wolf. The ex John Burroughs. <laughs> All right. Well, that was fun. That, that was the, the last thing I had. So. Too much fun. Uh, I th- Honestly, I love that story so much. Like, I can't wait to just... I've never heard of High Brazil before, so I know literally it's, all I'm going to do for... It's The story has, like, so many different things that you could branch off and do deep dives into mm-hmm. so yeah what, what are you guys final thoughts overall dope tastic <laughs> all right no we're not doing the uh, mad lib anymore oh <laughs> you can say real thoughts yeah <laughs> um i don't know i just still can't get over like the four coordinates that it gave them are just so do you guys think that it's something like extraterrestrial futuristic some what, do you think it's a hoax? What What do you guys see? Think? That's where it kind of we just don't know what time travel even would look like, how it realistically would happen. So I mean, to me, it makes more sense. I would be extraterrestrial and the eighty one hundred, like year eighty one hundred, or was it origin one? Origin year eighty one hundred. So maybe that's just like the alien or the extra extraterrestrial time. Um, I don't know doesn't really make sense for it to be time travel just because i don't know how that time travel would what what would look like so i'm i mean we, I'm don't, know, e. we don't know what aliens look like either so i mean um i mean look, i guess it depends there's an entire movie it's called et right, if you want right, to uh, right. look it up we know what they look like or world war of the worlds but that uh, the thing with that too is if it's interdimensional we don't know what the different timelines would be we could be on a consistent timeline with some other dimension that's in year 8100 and they just mm-hmm. flipped over a, a timeline to us to say hey and then went back did we talk about 
don't know if I shared this, but Neil deGrasse Tyson shared what he thought like time travel theoretically would be, and be like someone looking through an intense microscope, an X amount of light years away at Earth, like currently, like depending on when they're looking, they would actually be seeing like the Colosseums being built, right? Like if they would be looking now, just based on like the speed of light. So maybe it's like something based on that, but again, like the interdimensional aspect of that is also very cool. Who knows? What about you, They're Mark? actually just from like the 2D dimension. <laughs> it's just a flat plane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, realistically, I'm always going to lean number one at being a hoax. But if it's not, then I would lean extraterrestrial also because that's just the best option. I don't think anything else really, really makes sense in this case, especially if it was just scouting us out. Now, mm-hmm. why is it scouting us out? Since I, I've listened to so many reports about if aliens actually showed up here it wouldn't be for anything that we want it to be for generally speaking it wouldn't be good and it's definitely never based on most people's theories to scout us out as a threat that's almost never what it is because any alien race that can consistently touch down here safely is so far beyond us technologically that we cannot pose even nuclear nuclear a threat to like any alien race. Hmm. That being said, I saw some really good theories that the reason aliens would not want a war to break out is the best defense for the uh, humans against aliens would be to threaten to take ourselves out. Yeah, just with our destroy nukes ourselves because they probably have some sort of resource or reason to want to be here if they ever show up. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's probably a hoax, but if not, I mean, an awesome one at that, but if not, then extraterrestrial. What if like, like what you mentioned, maybe it's just like their way of like going on a safari, like, oh, let's go look at the animals down on earth. And yeah, it's like, maybe. oh, I, it's yeah, us. I, really don't know. I mean, that they're like that, like they would be just so far advanced, like technologically than us. Or And the only other thing I can think about. We're just a reality show. Is, well, it, there's a book called Slaughterhouse Five by Kurt Vonnegut that I read a while back, and that's pretty much what they say is they abduct people. There's a soldier that gets abducted and put into basically a giant dome that's like a zoo to them, mm. and he gets put in there with this actress, model, woman, and they basically just watch them live their lives and watch them like have a relationship together and stuff. It's just entertainment for them, kind of. So, who knows? Sorry. Last thing I'll say about it is, uh, let's say there's a really advanced alien race and they're just trying to scout out kind of the galaxy as a whole. Maybe that's why we don't see very many of these. For example, in this case, maybe there's only one or two because they only allotted that many resources out to this part of the galaxy and you know whatever. Or maybe know. it was just a student driver that needed to stop and take a break so they could switch drivers <laughs> get back home i don't know again the driver's just out taking a leak yeah just hanging out i don't know i think it's weird because before i started my research on this episode i didn't have any idea about that lake and heath uh encounter the first one so that just kind of made it even weirder for me because i was mm-hmm. unaware that there was previous encounters with weird things happening so spooky but yeah i was having like existential crises when i was doing this i was like man if this is all going on then what is the point huh like we're so small in the scheme well i mean if we are for like the aliens entertainment and if they're listening 
to this right now as entertainment. If you could please go uh, donate to our GoFundMe. Or rate um, us on Apple Podcasts and give us five stars. Or follow us on all of our social medias at Wodevsky's at Shop and Go at Mark underscore Cyan B and at the Gems of History podcast on Twitter and Instagram. I mean, aliens do it. I yeah, and if you guys want to be guest hosts, like just hit us up. Could you imagine? We're right here. <laughs> yeah. We'll break the news. Imagine <laughs> the listens we would get if oh, we broke wow. the news. We have like nine Twitter followers. Could you imagine? <laughs> we would get at least 10 more. If, ah, that's stretching. If it, we but... broke that news. But that's all we have for you for now. So if if the aliens do get in touch, we will give you an update when that happens. <laughs> They're actually like they buy a t-shirt. <laughs> 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 But yes, we will be back next week with Evan's topic mm-hmm. and another good, fun week of podcast goodness. So, And I promise you it won't be about any four-legged creature. All right. <laughs> I was kind of hoping for moose, but but until then, that's all we got for you guys for We're now. We're doing eight-legged creatures. We're diving into spiders. <laughs> if you don't mention the one for the Lord of the Rings, I'm going to be disappointed. Oh, yeah. All right, guys, everyone have a good week. Stay healthy and stay safe out there. And until next week, talk to you later. Adios. See you guys.